Welcome everyone to today's reading of AA material. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this reading with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. AA Big Book, page 24. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation or even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hasty and rarely supplanted with the old treadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of that kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Pass. The alcoholic may say to himself in most casual way, it won't burn me this time. So here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way? And after the third or fourth, pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink. Or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. And unless unlocked up, unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot pass. Continue. Mm -hmm. Patrick, alcoholic. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact that our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and our lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do for ourselves. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We are in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation at, as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. 
This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Page 62, please. Down at the bottom of 62 where it says, This is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. And we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant art through which we passed to freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of His presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. Pass next paragraph. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me, to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties. That victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. That's good. That we could. At last abandon ourselves utterly him. I'm sorry I jumped in. Okay, now page 76, please. Uh, When ready, just that one paragraph. 76. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have empathized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, everyone? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn page 86, please. Uh, I guess we're ready when, when we retire at night. All right. <clears throat> when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time, or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we can pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, 
or morbid reflection, so that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance. For after all God gave us brains to use, our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecisions. We We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We're often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually became a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pray we might pay for the, this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely on it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that will be shown all throughout the day what our next step is to be, that we be giving whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make up make no request for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in the morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. Now let's go ahead and jump to page 416, please. Way at the back. It helped me a great deal. And and I pass. All right. It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease. Not a moral issue that I had been drinking as a result of compulsion. Even though I had not been aware of the compulsion at the time. And that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had. But I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. 
At last acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I had been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, okay, God, it is true. The eye of all people, strange as it may seem, even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it's all right with me. Now what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. And acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's, it is supposed to be. At this moment, nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I could not be happy. I need to concern, concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. Pass. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation. And I was always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. AA and acceptance have taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. That we were all children of God and each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or you, I am complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than God. For years I was sure the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or even bad for you or anyone. So I'm better off if I don't give advice, don't figure. I know what's best and just accept life on life's terms as it is today, especially my own life as it actually is. Before AA, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems it's as though AA had given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have been married now for 35 years. Prior to our marriage, when she was a shy, scrawny adolescent, I was able to see things in her that others couldn't necessarily think. See, things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift for being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It was as if I had had, rather than a Midas touch, which turned everything to gold, a magnifying mind magnifying whatever it focused on. Over the years, as I thought about Max, her good qualities grew and grew, and we married, and all these qualities became more and more apparent to me, and we were happier and happier. But then as I drank more and more, the alcohol seemed to affect my vision. Instead of continu continuing to see what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. And the more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was a nothing, she receded 
a little more into nowhere. The more I drank, the more she wilted. Then one day in AA, I was told I had the lenses in my back in my glasses backward. The courage to change in the serenity prayer meant not that I should change my marriage, but rather I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can again focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow and grow and grow. I can do the same thing with an AA meeting. The more I focus my mind on its defects, late start, long drunk logs, cigarette smoke, the worse the meeting becomes. But when I try to see what I can add to the meeting rather than what I can get out of it, when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps getting better and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. And when I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Amen. Page 420, please. Perhaps. Perhaps the best thing of all for me is to remember that my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of Max and other people are, the lower is my serenity. I can watch my serenity level rise when I discard my expectations. But then my rights try to move in, and they too can force my serenity level down. I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity, my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and sobriety than on anything else, I can maintain them at a higher level, at least for the time being. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for Him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever's in front of me to be done. I leave the results up to Him, however it turns out. That's God's will for me. I must keep my magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations, for my serenity is indirectly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember this, I can see I never had it so good. Thank God for AA. Let's turn to page 552, please. 552. Never forget that And I pass. 552. Uh, where would I start reading? Uh, uh, he said, in effect... He said, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, ask their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it go ahead and do it anyway do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and to want it for them and you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred you now feel compassionate understanding and love it worked for me then and it has worked for me many times since And it will work for me every time I am willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask first for the willingness, but it too always comes. And because it works for me, it will work for all of us. 
As another, as an other great man says, the only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. This is great experience that released me from the bondage of hatred and replaced it with love is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholics Anonymous and everything I need, I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Pass. Oh, okay, let's go to uh, page 100, please. 100, there's one paragraph there. You and the new man. You and with your commando. Thank you, 100. And then, uh, and Alex, you go to page 83, please, on the promises. Okay. Okay, you have one on the first paragraph. Both you and the new man. Both you and the new man must walk day by day, day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Okay, page 83, Alex, please. Yeah, uh, at the bottom, right? Right, painstaking. All right, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed. Therefore, we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace no matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in a self, in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work them. Amen, amen. Uh, now we go to page 85. It is easy. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest in our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. 
Page 43. Alex, bottom of 43. 43. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases. Neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. D.N. Beautiful, wonderful readings. Thank you, guys. Those excellent readings, man. Uh, it really stood out to me. Uh, and did anything stand out to you, Patrick? Uh, as usual, uh, my favorite is page 552. I've always had a problem with forgiving those, and yeah, I, uh, I still think about certain people and the injustice they, <laughs> they did to me, this and that, but um, I, there's still one person. But if I refer to that and remember it, and actually, not just that, but practice it, saying, I really don't want to do this. I really, really don't. But if it is practiced little by little, it kind of saturates, gets saturated into whatever it is, my spirit, my brain, my way of thinking, what, whatever you call it. And um, it is rewarding, and it is, uh, it's like being unburdened. So I always, whenever, we've done these readings before, and I always look back, I always reflect on that page 552. Amen, amen. And Alex, what did you, uh, what stood out to you this time? Um, well, uh, the part that, uh, it's not to you, open yourself up to your higher power and realize, like, I do need help, I am an alcoholic, so what do I do now, you know, that's exactly, really resonates with me. Wow. Every time, yeah. Yeah, that it wasn't until, yeah. Amen. Yeah, well, it, it's, amen. <laughs> I, I felt it low when I read it, too. It's just, you know, it's, it's the same thing as I say, uh, I thank you, God. I'm a misfit. I missed it. It's kind of like a saying, thy will be done. Huh? Oh. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I got this. I had a, made a conclusion on 552 to pray for a truck driver that I was, it wasn't him that I'm, I was mad at. It was previous situations that I had resentments. But I, I learned to do this page 552, and I prayed for the guy on my knees for nine consecutive days. And the ninth day, I saw a light come from the east go to the workplace in El Monte. And I saw how God loved that man. That was one of his kids, but the man was lost. He was just causing anger. He had no teeth. He was a bar brawler. And we had got into it in moving trucks in the, uh, you know, just a little spat. And so I, I grew a resentment. But then until I started doing those practices, then it went away. And then I went up to him, and it was like water. Nothing was there. It like spilled water when I, I reached out my hand. And, and he laughed, and I laughed. And we both shook hands. But we took care of it in the spirit, in the prayer sequence. That, that reading there... It worked for me, like you said. And it, it was a domino effect. It took care of, hopefully, all the ones in the past, too. Okay. Thank you guys for coming in here. Would anybody like to, uh, let's go ahead and close with the serenity prayer once more. And uh, We've done an excellent job. Wonderful readings. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you for being here. All right, let's go ahead and close with the uh, serenity prayer again. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. 
and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. All right, keep coming back. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See you. See you, man. Greetings. My name is Patrick. I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Today we're going to read from the big book, page 486. It's from the personal stories in the back of the book, and it's titled On the Move. Before we begin, we're going to uh, recite the serenity prayer. God, God grant, grant me the, the serenity, serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot change, change the, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the, the difference. I shall commence and begin. On the move. I thought my life had, had come to an end when I arrived at my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous at 28 years old. I'd been drinking since my early teens, and to my way of thinking, booze had been the answer to my problems, not the problem itself. Even I had to admit, though, that my life had gotten pretty bad and my options were quickly running out. In a moment of desperation, I agreed to go to one AA meeting. It is easier to see now, as I look back on my drinking days, that from the very beginning, alcohol had been part of nearly every disaster in my life. As a very young boy, perhaps 10 or 11 years old, I had begun to steal drinks when my parents were not looking, or my friends and I would convince someone from the local high school to buy us some beer. Slowly, but very steadily, my problems began to grow from there. It started with simple episodes at school. My buddies and I would split a six-pack over lunch and thought nobody would notice. It never occurred to me that a 13-year-old could not easily hide the effects of even a single beer. By the time I was 14 or 15, things were getting far more serious, and the consequences of my drinking were getting more costly in every way, socially, morally, financially. A turning point came when I was 15. My mind, my mom, excuse me, was in the middle of an ugly divorce. Through nobody's fault but my own, I decided that I had the answer. In a drunken brawl, having planned every step of my actions, I attempted to kill my stepfather. I vaguely remember being dragged out of the house by the police and came to, yet again trying to answer for what I had done while drunk. The results were the that I was eventually given a choice by the judge, go to juvenile hall until I was 25 years old or leave the state until I was at least 21. I did not want to go to juvenile hall, so I did the math and decided the better part of valor was to get out as far as away from there as I could. Over the next 13 years, until I graced the doors of AA for the first time, life really never got any better. I did, however, learn the fine art of geographics. From my home on the East Coast, I landed in Japan. Then I moved back to the United States and to New England, then out to California, where over the next six years, I saw my alcoholism take me to new depths of disgrace, embarrassment, and despair. As one of my early AA sponsors used to say, I didn't hang out with lower companions I had become one. The specifics are pretty much the same as for most alcoholics. I went places I used to swear I would never go. I did things I could not imagine myself doing. 
I hung out with people that at one time I would cross the street to avoid. There, there came a time when looking into the mirror, I honestly did not know just who was looking back at me. To say that I had arrived at a jumping off point is an understatement. Life just could not go on like this much longer. Pass. I began the process of speeding up the day when life would end. My doctor has six or seven suicide attempts on my medical records. Most were pitiful efforts to reach out for help. <clears throat> Excuse me. Although I didn't see it at the time. My last such attempt was very public and demonstrated that I had lost touch with reality and with any sense of what my actions could do to others. A friend took pity on me, I think, and invited me to his home for Thanksgiving. His parents were in town from the East Coast and he was having a big party. There at the dinner table, I stood up and attempted suicide in front of everybody. The memory of that has always struck in my mind as a definition of pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization that the big book talks about. What is sadder is that my actions had made sense to me at the time. As a result of that episode, I ended up seeing a psychiatrist to find out what was wrong with me. At our very first session, she invited me to tell me about yourself. I proceeded to do so only to be told to stop after I had only spoken for five minutes or so. She explained that she really only had two things to say to me, that she thought I hadn't told the truth since I walked into the office and that I was an alcoholic. It took me a long time to understand how a description of my life could make anyone think I was a drunk. The doctor said if I was going to continue to see her, I had to agree to do two things. First, she gave me a business card with a phone number on it. She said the next time I tried to kill myself, I should call that number first. Second, she was going to give me a book to read and she wanted me to read the first few hundred pages before our next meeting. Before I left that day, she gave me a copy of the big book. It took some time, but I eventually made it to my first meeting. I had gone out on New Year's Eve. When I came to, I thought it was the next morning. As, my, as I held my head steady, popped some aspirin, and tried to drink a cup of coffee. I glanced at the front page of the newspaper. It was January 9th, and I had been in a blackout for a week. After everything else that had happened, that was terrifying enough for me to get to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I drove up to that first meeting though, I saw that the address I had was actually a church. As a nice Jewish boy, I was not about to wander into a church. I knew that I would not be welcome. I hid on the floorboards of the car and peeked out the window, waiting for the drunks to walk by. Everyone looked normal, so I figured I might be in the wrong place. I was about to leave, but then I saw a drinking buddy of mine go by. I jumped out of my car and greeted him. Funny thing, but it was his first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous also. What a coincidence. And we walked into a world that has turned everything in my life inside out. I didn't like AA and the people in it for a long time. I didn't trust anyone and I got tired of sitting at meetings listening to other newcomers as they began to talk of finding God. Having their families return to them, being treated with respect by society, and finding some peace of mind. It never occurred to me that they had sponsors, and were working the 12 steps of recovery. I had what I now call a sponsor of the month. I always had a sponsor, but whenever one of them would lovingly suggest I do something, I would fire them and move on to the someone else. 
I remained angry, bitter, isolated, and even though I was going to five or six meetings per week and was not drinking, at seven months sober, I was getting a little bored with AA and began to wonder if this was all there was to life. The concept of not drinking again seemed a little extreme, and I thought that perhaps it would be different this time. Then something happened that I now believe it helped me to stay sober and find my higher power. I woke up one morning and couldn't feel my legs. I could still walk with a little difficulty, but it got worse as time passed. Several months and lots of medical examinations, doctors, hospital visits, and tests later, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. The path since then has been quite a journey. I now either walk with crutches or use a wheelchair. There have been lots of times I wanted and intended to drink again during my second year of sobriety. I slowly became angrier and angry. I was in what one of my sponsors now refers to as the angry years. I was one of those people we see at meetings and wonder how they stay, they stay sober. At my home group, members didn't give up on me. They loved me anyway. One day, the group's general service representative announced she was moving and would have to give up her commitment, and they elected me to her job. They explained to me that a serious two-year service commitment was exactly what I needed. I tried to explain that I was not eligible, but they told me to go to the monthly general service meetings and tell them my problems with ser while serving. Needless to say, they didn't allow me to quit either. Pastor. Along the way, I learned, in spite of myself, that the best thing about AA service jobs is that, for a period of time, I got out of myself. At some point, I began to shut my mouth and actually listen to what other people were saying at meetings. After white-knuckling it for almost two years in AA, I finally broke down and saw that I, I could not stay sober all by myself, but I was terrified of going back to drinking. After all my suicide attempts, I had no fear of dying but I could not stand the idea that I would go back to living that way again. I was at, at what the old timers in our literature refer to as a jumping off point. I didn't know what to do. One evening I did the unimaginable, at least for me. After picking up my sponsor of the month <laughs> to go to a meeting, I informed him that I was ready to work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. In most respects of my life began again that night. That man took me through the steps in a loving, gentle way that the remainder of my life I will be grateful for. He taught me to look inward at my soul, to welcome a higher power into my life, and to reach out to others. He taught me how to look into a mirror and to be, and to like and even respect the man who looked back at me. When I reached the ninth step, I began to hesitate in my enthusiasm. One morning I woke, woke up covered in sweat and could not get over a nightmare I had that this was my last day of sobriety. After calling friends and my sponsor, I, I knew what had to be done. I spent the entire day, more than eight or nine hours, going into people's offices and making my amends. Some were thrilled to see me. One woman called the police. When they arrived, it turned out that the policeman was in an AA and he, was con he convinced the woman not to press charges. I even ran into someone who I had thought was dead. So I took a dead guy to lunch and made my amends to him also. For the first time I thought, and actually felt, as if I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, 
with something to share at meetings. When I was four years sober, I took a trip back to my home city, one of the very few times since I had left so many years before under the threat of jail time. I had made amends to the man I attempted to kill when I was 15 years old. I visited and made amends to several people who had sat at that Thanksgiving dinner table and had watched me attempt suicide in front of them. I came home exhausted, but knew that I had somehow done the, the right thing. It is probably no coincidence that the following year, my old friend invited me back for Thanksgiving dinner. Pass. AA and the steps of recovery have shown me how to look at events in a different way. I can now understand how some things which once seemed like major disasters turn out to be blessings. Certainly my alcoholism fits that category. I am truly a grateful alcoholic today. I do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Those events that once made me feel ashamed and disgraced now allow me to share with others how to become a useful member of the human race. My physical disability has not altered that attitude. If anything, it has enhanced it. Long ago, I learned that no matter how uncomfortable I was physically, I felt better by getting out of myself and helping someone else. It had also helped me it also helped to learn how to laugh at myself and to not to take myself so seriously. I am aware that I am not the only person on this earth with problems. Though my experiences in general services, AA has shown me how, how widespread and diverse the program is. I have traveled throughout the United States and even went to Israel for several months a few years ago. While there, I attended meetings and was the secretary to a meeting located in a bomb shelter. Like everyone else, I have good days and bad days. Unlike my attitude while I was still drinking, however, I rarely dread what is going to happen to me today. I even, have, I even had the chance to see my father come into AA. We've been to numerous AA conventions together and have shared more with each other in the past few years than we had ever known before. I think we are both at peace with our past and comfortable with the present. In the past several years, I've gone back to school and begun a new career. As I roll around in my wheelchair, I am amazed when I realize that I honestly cannot imagine life to be anything different than what it has been. And that is just fine with me. The tools of sobriety and recovery in AA are there for me to use in all aspects of my life. And all I ever need is the willingness to do what is in front of me. I am grateful that a drunk like me was fortunate enough to live until I arrived in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the end. Hi everyone, Fernando, alcoholic. Um, we're gonna be doing some readings from the grapevine. So let's go ahead and open it up with the uh, third step prayer, please. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, of thy love, of thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Patrick will read the first one, and then I'll read a random story from different grapevines. Thank you, Patrick. You're welcome. Uh, hello, all. My name is Patrick, recovering alcoholic. Today, I will be reading a story from the grapevine from December 2021, titled Angry Mike, no, Harley Mike, Angry Mike, and Young Andy. 
here we go. The more he did it, the more he learned that, every, that reaching out was the deal. Soon, a wonderful band of AA misfits appeared. I was about four months sober when I asked Bill to be my sponsor. I went over to his apartment with my big book. He handed me a composition notebook and a highlighter. He told me to help myself to a pencil. He had a coffee cup on the dining room table, chock full of pencils, and every one of them was sharp. I thought that was weird until he said he was a CPA, and then, made it, and then it made sense. Secretly, I was wondering how an accountant could help a washed-up, drunken, drug-addicted deep-sea diver. We started on the steps right away. About a week later, Bill called me to say he was going on a 12-step call and asked me to come along. I said I'd be thrilled to go. Bill picked me up in his van, and we drove to a house where we met a young man named Terry, who we took to a meeting. Terry was a smart-mouthed punk kid. He ran his mouth all the way there, shared at the meeting, and ran his mouth to my sponsor all the way home. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. After we dropped Terry off, my sponsor turned to me and asked what I thought about him. Not much, I said. Well, he's yours, Bill said. I want you to work with him. I told Bill... I didn't know what to do to help Terry. Don't worry about it, he replied. You don't have enough power to get him drunk and you don't have enough power to get him sober, but you'll learn something. The first thing I learned was that Terry had a car and I didn't, he pretty much called me every day and asked me to go to a meeting. I'd say yes and ask him to come over and pick me up. I was now able to go to more meetings than ever. I was able to show him meetings I'd been to before and introduce him to people I barely knew. Before I knew it, I began to feel part of AA instead of such an outsider. After about a month, Terry and I were at beginner's podium meeting in Irvine when this angry guy got up to the podium and told us that we were all full of crap. He said we all, all we talk about is love and welcoming the newcomers and that he'd been coming there for three weeks and nobody ever came up to him to welcome him or even to say hello. I poked Terry in the ribs and said, let's go get him. We went up to the guy and introduced ourselves and found out his name was Russ. I asked him if he'd like to go to a clubhouse with me on Thursday. I explained that they have a beginner's A meeting at six and a speaker meeting at eight. And sometimes a member comes in right from the beach in their bathing suits. Russ was all over that idea. Now I had two guys with cars talking to me, talking to, taking me to meetings all over Orange County, sorry. I was still working menial jobs for $6 an hour and having to ride a lot of these buses to be self-supporting through my own contributions. The difference now that I was not feeling sorry for myself anymore. Each day I'd look forward to hanging with my AA buds and going to another meeting. In the meantime, I was still working the steps with my sponsor. Pretty soon our little band of misfits grew. There was Harley Mike, Angry Mike, Young Andy, and others. Just like the big book says, a fellowship was growing around me. It was, much, it was much an exciting time in my journey. After one meeting, a guy asked me how he could be part of our clique. A clique, I said, shocked. We're just a bunch of losers who hang out and stay sober together. You're welcome to hang with us if you want. Not all of us stayed sober. Russ has 35 years now, and we are still in touch. Terry never made it, at least not for the next few years. He would call me from all over the place. He'd start drinking and then get into more and more trouble. I even got a call from a jail in South Africa. It was Terry. He would be so remorseful and tell me that this time it was going to be different. 
It never was. The last time he called me to take him to a meeting, he was wasted in Hollywood. Four guys had taken him up to the Hollywood Hills, assaulted him, and left him naked on the side of the road. This time he told me he didn't think he would ever want to be sober again. I moved to Washington a year or two later. I never heard from him again. My prayers are that someday Terry will try A again and live the happy, wonderful life that we offer. I've heard many people in AA say they know what will happen if they drink again. They'll die, go insane, or something else. I don't believe I can ever know what might happen to me if I drank again. I've seen too many people who have had horrible things happen after picking up and say they never saw it coming. Those early days of sobriety when I was taking those low-paying jobs and riding buses everywhere to get there taught me a valuable lesson. Before AA, I had been working for a really large driving company, diving company, one of the biggest in the world. It was the elite of the elite. I was a saturation diver with a hyperbaric welder. I ran the training department. I worked all over the world and made big bucks. Sobering up without a pop to you know what in and making and being unable to find a job left me devastated and demoralized. I realized through service, my sponsor and the steps that I had been defining myself, my self-worth through my work. AA helped me learn that helping others and treating others with kindness are the cornerstones of self-esteem and self-worth, not money and status. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, AA. That was from Bill W. Everett Washington. All right, very good. What, what did we uh, get? Uh, it reminds me, Fernando Alcoholic, it reminds me when three of us alcoholics went to jump out of an airplane over there in Davis, California, Davis Air Force Base. And, and it was a Saturday, and this guy was bucking that we all do something instead of AA meetings. So we, we had gone fishing, we had gone done other things. And this time we were all going to go jump off an airplane. And one guy was drunk. He was still drinking. He had three days, so it's, you know, to get some nerve up. <laughs> And we went up there, and of course, each of us was, was hooked up to an instructor. And we went up, and they said, if you, we, we can take you 4,000 extra feet up higher if you pay $40 more. Of course, we signed for it, right? So we're all paying like 160 apiece, you know. And here we go, these three new guys to go jump off an airplane. And uh, funny thing about it is that there was about 12 people in that plane, and the pilot took us really high with his part, you know, oxygen starts to deplete and uh but i noticed that the people there were high-fying each other they were giving each other thumbs up they were saying hey all right all right and i was noticing that they were keeping the fear away they were they're raising the camaraderie you know the fellowship and the love and the joy between they didn't let anybody get fearful you know and so i jumped my buddy jumped Oh, well, we saw the professionals jump first, the single guys. You know, they all took off really gallantly out of the airplane. And then we jumped, and we had to get, kind of put our head back in one of the stupid regulations you ever see of aviation that says that a newcomer has to put his head back and then fall forward out of the plane, which your subconscious mind ain't going to do. You know, it's just you got to put your head back like this, lean back, and then the instructor pushes you, and he's in back of you, like, over the plane like this. And... uh just, uh, anyway, we did it, and within five minutes, our hundred and sixty dollars was burned up. We were, you know, just flew down real fast, like, and I pulled the cord, <laughs> and uh, and my buddy, the drunk guy, 
something happened there, but they were okay. And then the other guy, they landed on a water patch, you know. <laughs> they said, put your legs up, put your legs up. I didn't put my legs up. I started running with the guy, you know, when we hit the floor. The other guy put his, put his legs up, and they fell on the water, and he went butt first in there. So it was hilarious, you know. Um, we did something out of AA, and let's jump out of the airplane, something i never done before. I always wanted to do. I can't do it again now, but that was, that was part of my recovery. No. Camaraderie. That was uh, all I'm going to say about that and the stories. It was quite a leap of faith. <laughs> <laughs> quite a leap of faith. Bad one, Pat. <laughs> Amen. Okay, here's another story. This one's out of the Grapevine, May 2022, and it says, We walk together. A bilingual member comes up with a plan to send grapevines and Lavinia into jail libraries during the pandemic. I live in Massachusetts. When COVID-19 hit, most AA meetings in jails and prisons were suspended. I remember that. We couldn't go into no. juvenile hall no more. Inmates were confined to their cells up to 20 hours a day. As the pandemic got worse, I started collecting used grapevines and lavinias for our local jail library here in Middleton. The librarian was willing to put up the magazines out for the prisoners and take and read. At that time, she had only two copies of grapevine that a priest had donated. There's a large Hispanic population in this jail and a great need also. Donate lavinias as many as the inmates were ready to read. Excuse me. There's a large Hispanic population in this jail and a great need to also donate Lavinas as many of the inmates were read only Spanish. The librarian and I developed a system. I would mail her grapevines and Lavinas wrapped in plastic and dated. She would then set them aside for two weeks so there would no danger of transmitting the viruses. The magazines were then put in the jail library where prisoners could take them to read. So far, the jail library has received nine subscriptions of Lavinia, four subscriptions to Grapevine, 130 used Grapevines, and 10 used Lavinias. Getting it done was easy, but did require some effort. I attended a virtual meeting of our Area 30 Correctional Committee and my district meeting. I also contacted the correction chair for District 1819, where the jail is located. Contacted AA Central Service in Boston and spoke to members in a Spanish AA group in Lynn. Members mail me their used grapevines and lavinas or buy subscriptions directly for the jail librarian. Then I wrapped them in plastic and mailed them to the jail's library. Well, while it's wonderful that the jail library now has 13 subscriptions instead of none, it's important to know that there are 800 inmates in this jail. Donating used grapevines and lavinias really helped to make up the difference. The magazines are needed by the prisoners, and there are a lot of prisoners, more than ever, ever now. They have time to read and reflect on what they have read. Why not send the AA message where it's desperately needed? Personally, what I have most enjoyed about this service project is how anonymous it is. I'm just part of a pipeline to get AA magazines to alcoholic inmates. I never see these members and only occasionally communicate with the librarian via email, but I know the message is getting where it is It is so desperately needed. I am a bilingual alcoholic. I developed my Spanish language skills attending Spanish AA meetings here in Massachusetts. 
This correction service project has brought into a clear focus the importance of integrating English and Spanish linguistic divide AA has. We do have a Spanish district, which is both necessary and wonderful, but in English speaking and Spanish speaking members in our area simply do not mingle. The result is that our understanding of AA as a whole is limited and the limits are our ability to carry the message. Here are some valuable things I learned. If I had not gotten involved in Spanish AA correctional service, I would not have been aware of the large number of Hispanic alcoholic prisoners and would not have appreciated the, the need to reach out to them if my good friend Ishmael, who died of COVID during the pandemic, had not educated me about the extent to which the Hispanic community is especially Hispanic inmates, do not have access to resources. I would have not known to make a special effort to reach out to them. Because of this experience, I was able to explain to our English language service committees the great need for getting Spanish language AA literature into correctional facilities. Most jail libraries have little to read in Spanish at all, especially AA material. When the members of these communities understood, they respond generously. There are 14 county jails in Massachusetts, but there are thousands of jails across the country. This is a story of one country, one county in a very small state. If members are interested in doing something similar, members, especially bilingual members, can contact jail librarians and establish coordination between English and Spanish AA service committees to combine resources. It's really not hard, but it takes some work. Get involved when we walk together. When we walk together, we walk further, and the journey is a lot more fun. PM from Summersville, Massachusetts. Thank you very much.